Hello, and welcome to episode 189 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Strengthening Mankind Actually Realized Through Serum. Ooh. Ooh. Thanks, Mom, for that. Yes. My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, aka Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. <laughs> so we do have a little bit of news this week Ooh. that broke just today, since Ooh. we're recording later in the week than usual. Um, so we know that Disney is planning all sorts of Star Wars and Marvel content for their upcoming... Marvel? Marvel. Uh, <laughs> for their upcoming Disney Plus streaming service. And actually, as we record this, I think tomorrow is the day that they're going to fully unveil the service. Ooh. Maybe show the UI a little bit, presumably talk about how much it's going to cost, mm-hmm. when exactly it'll launch, maybe officially announce some of these shows that we've been hearing rumored. But for now, um, and, and in fact, maybe this is why some of these reports are coming out now, because as it gets closer to the real announcement, people are starting to... To leak. People are starting to leak a little bit. Nice. Um, but we have a report of, and these reports are generally true because they're like, oh, you know, these people are going to be running this show. This is this is going to star in it. Like these are pretty solid reports. So I think this is going to be right up there in terms of factualness with mm-hmm. the Loki series, which is the one that they have actually announced. The report today is that their Disney Plus will feature a Hawkeye series with Jeremy Renner That's awesome. reprising his role. And what's interesting about this, aside from the fact that the character will finally get some spotlight, is that it seems like they're going to be taking a cue from the uh, more recent comics, which have been widely acclaimed, um, which focuses... And in fact, I think we've seen... You've heard mention of this in some YouTube videos we've watched. Mostly focuses on like Hawkeye in, in, when he's not saving the world. Mm-hmm. Just sort of his more... Every day, yep, getting up, kind of adv- <laughs> adventures. Some coffee, um, but also a, a feature of the recent Hawkeye series have been him basically not necessarily passing on the mantle because he's still Hawkeye too, but kind of training a, a, a younger Hawkeye uh, whose name is Kate Bishop. So it's a sort of a younger female, oh, um, cool. sort of teenage Hawkeye, and in a lot of ways she's a much, she's a much better superhero than he is because he's kind of a schlub and she's. At least in the comics, he's kind of a schlub. In the in movies, he's a highly trained S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. But yeah. in the comics, he's a bit of a schlub ex-con character, you know. Funny. Um, so, and, and they're going to be doing the Kate Bishop stuff in the show. So this will fo- feature him training a new Hawkeye, and that'll be the premise for the show. So whether they'll both be Hawkeye, like, you know, how there's multiple Flashes and multiple Green Lanterns, or whether this will be... Whether he's not going to be Hawkeye in the movies anymore, and this will be their way of having him pass the torch, and then if there ever is a Hawkeye movie or like a Young Avengers movie, mm-hmm. it'll be Kate, the Kate Bishop Hawkeye in there because these shows are going to be run by or overseen at least by Kevin Feige, and so unlike right. the, the ABC shows and the Netflix shows and the Hulu shows, these are going to be hand in hand, hand in hand with the movies, and so you can expect to see developments here actually re- referenced and paid off in the movies. Wow! So. This could be Jeremy Renner's swan song, theoretically. Mm-hmm. It might not be, but it could be. And then it could be setting Kate Bishop up for a starring role in potential future movies. Can I ask you a um, geeky weeds kind of question? Remember in the Endgame trailer, there's this like right. brief... So, um, so immediately... Hold on, hold on. Let me finish okay. my sentence because you, <laughs> um, you know... I don't You know what I'm about to say, but maybe some people in the audience don't know what the rest of my question is. Um in the, I'm, say, I'm talking about the moment where you see him and a young girl shooting an arrow at the tree, and she's the one shooting, and he's the one encouraging her. And, you know, up until this point, I had 
thought that that was his daughter. We saw his three kids, or rather two and a half kids. Right, but I can't um, remember how in, old the kids were then. Well, but it they seems were like she was five or something. So fast. Right. Forward. This is only a few years later, though. So that girl in the trailer looked. So this she is what people range. I mean, so so she looked a little tall, but she could easily there's pass also, for an eleven year old. There's also the speculation the right that Endgame is going to feature a time jump. That this will pick up like several years after the snap. You know, and doesn't matter because she she was dead before she was dead as a result. Well, we were of assuming snap. we were assuming that we right. don't know for sure. It could yeah. just be maybe his wife and two of his kids that got. Well, no, we're not assuming. You know why? Because of how he looks in the trail in the trailer. Well, sure, in but he could moment, still go. He could still go all Ronan even if he lost most of his family. Like any anyway. Like this is all speculation on top of speculation. Like we don't know for a fact what his family situation is. Um, but you're right. So people saw that in the trailer and they were immediately saying, oh, is that Kate Bishop? Kate Bishop but then people were like, no, it's probably just his daughter. Mm-hmm. Could be. It's it's possible. I think that if they had cast Kate Bishop for the movie, they would and have said. They, then there probably would have been an announcement about it. I don't think they'd be all stealthy about it. So it's probably just like someone playing his daughter with probably not even any lines or one or two lines. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not something that you would announce ahead of time. Um so I would assume my, my money right now is just on that being his daughter, mm-hmm. um, either tall for her age or there's a time jump and it's her and she didn't get raptured with everybody else for right. whatever reason. Or maybe that's a scene from like the end of the movie after people come back and mm-hmm. but you wouldn't think they would spoil that in the trailer. A- and again, then, that's not probably what it is. Well, first off, because of spoilers, but second off, because of how he looks in the thing. He's got like this mohawk thing going or, yeah. after the event. Or it could, be, it could be a dream. Like there's speculation too that they're gonna that we're going to see a lot of beloved, beloved characters <laughs> in, in the movie because they're going to have flashbacks or time travel or dream sequences or something like a way of paying off like wouldn't it be a great capper for no pun intended for Captain America's arc if he got to see Peggy Carter one last time even though she died of old age or whatever right like Mm -hmm. if 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 Tony got to see his mother and father one last time before his arc presumably ends or whatever and so maybe Hawkeye gets to see his family who knows like they could these trailers are deliberately cut in the the Infinity War trailer actually included shots effect shots even that required a lot of CG work that were never intended to be in the final movie Rogue the Rogue One trailers did this too they just they did it that way to kind of invite speculation and throw people off oh sure so that scene might not even appear in the movie who knows like I'm sure they shot it probably intending it to be but who knows so anyway, so it's a long way of saying that there's going to be a, what they're calling, it's fine, they're calling them limited series, which is borrowing a page from the comic terminology where they're called, you know, mini series or limited series, you know, a six issue arc or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think there's probably going to be like a six or eight episode Hawkeye series with mm-hmm. Jeremy Renner and whoever they cast as Kate Bishop. And that'll be, it'll be some, an opportunity to give him some good spotlight too. Right. Which he hasn't, you know, because he's probably the least well-served of the six original Avengers in terms of, I mean, second to him would probably be Black Widow, but she's getting her own movie. So, yeah. you know, then that leaves him as the last last person. So getting his own, getting your own premium streaming service show is not a bad, no, not a yeah. bad way to go. I know. So, so we'll exciting. presumably look for that in, in a year or so. Probably it'll take them a while to actually. Yeah, no kidding. To put it all actually together. Actually do it. The only other news we have this week is that uh, it was just today announced that the DC's Young Animal imprint will be returning later this year. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. Awesome. So the Doom Patrol series is the lone returning series. It'll okay. be returning in July with a new uh, limited run, uh, still featuring Gerard Way as one of the writers, but this time he's going to be working with a co-writer, and there's going to be a rotating series of artists. I think each each issue will be like a, a different story and will feature a different artist. Oh, cool. Kind of like... Like you know, Commandy Challenge? 
Well, yeah, or the current like nightmares arc in Batman that we're reading, okay. where each issue is written for a specific artist in a specific style or whatever. Um, same cast returning, you know, all the all the same characters: Casey Brink, Flex Mentolo, yep, you know, Cliff, Larry, Rita's back after the Milk Wars thing, even though you didn't really know who she was at the time. Now you have a bit yep. more context for mm-hmm. her. Um, and so, yeah, so that's coming back. And then there's going to be two new series. Um, there's going to be one called um, Collapser, which is sort of a sci-fi series. And it's going to be written by Gerard Way's uh, younger brother, who also apparently is a writer. And then the last one is going to be called um, Far Patrol. And it's actually going to feature a Green Lantern. So, I mean, the the young animal books are always kind of like continuity adjacent. Like, are they in continuity? Are they not? It's going to feature a Green Lantern. It's going to be written by... Um, What's her name? Is it N.K. Jemison? I think is her name. She's a she's a like multiple award like Hugo Award winning, Nebula Award winning uh, sci-fi uh, author, novelist. Hmm. She's very well I'm renowned. I'm ashamed of my own ignorance. So she, she's going to be writing this. It's about a it's about a female Green Lantern who has been protecting this planet where there's been no crime or incidents for thousands of years but that's only because all the people the people have been stripped of all of their emotions and their whatever and then something starts to happen that actually starts to change things or whatever so it's like this high concept green lantern sci-fi story featuring a new green lantern of the of this creative team's creation Mm -hmm. so it'll be written by nk jemison and it'll be drawn by um blanking on the artist's name but it's the artist that's jamal campbell the artist is currently doing um naomi with oh awesome and oh, his cool. designs for his cover design and design for the character look really cool. Even the ring is like really interesting and ornate. Like she's got a unique looking ring, which cool. doesn't I, make a lot of logical sense. But I guess there's been some, there's some precedent for the ring sort of Having changing itself style. to suit sure. the, the mm-hmm. wearer. Um, so yeah, so those will be the three. So so um, Doom Patrol and Collapser uh, are in July, and then Far Patrol um, will be debuting later in the year. Apparently, mm-hmm. I guess presumably because Jamal Campbell needs to finish up the Naomi series first and then and they already said remember me telling you this that the Naomi series will be like a series of mini series basically so I imagine Jamal Campbell will be finishing up volume one of Naomi then doing this which will also be like a limited run six or eight issues or whatever and then coming back to do book two of Naomi with Bendis next year or something mm-hmm. like that so that's probably how they'll be utilizing him but that's cool and I mean there's always potential for more uh, more more young animal stuff it seems like the, the line kind of petered out there like all the series kind of got a conclusion and mm-hmm. they were pretty good conclusions but it just seemed like the doom patrol series kind of petered out because of massive delays you know mm-hmm. where the crossover that was supposed to cap it off ended up coming out before the last couple of issues it was a really weird situation so mm-hmm. it seems like this time they've got more people working on it and they've got it seems like they've got a schedule plus i'm sure based on what happened last time they wouldn't have announced this series in a release date if they didn't have probably the entire thing in the can already and nick Darrington, Darrington, who did the art on the previous series will be providing covers and designs and stuff too so he's still involved so the original people are still involved it's just now there's more people working on it too that's so, so cool. Wow, that's really cool. To look forward to later this year. And that's it for our news. Wow, great bit of news. I'm so, glad we waited till today to record. Yeah, there would have been nothing yesterday. Nothing. Yeah. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked the um, Dreaming number eight. And the short, short version is that it picks up where it left off last time, which I also picked that issue. Um, in the hospital, the Rose is talking to Lucian, who is in a fugue comatose semi comatose um uh, i don't really know how to semi catatonic state um and she's talking to him and filling him in on the 
backstory of her daughter's relationship with Daniel of the Dreaming of the Endless. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yes. I'm still learning all of these terms, uh, so sorry if I don't have them at the tip of my tongue. Um, but anyway, short, short version, the art is amazing, the imagery was amazing, we got to meet a couple more characters which are also intriguing, and it just continued to be an amazing place to pick up, and it, it was really impressive, and that's why I picked it for my comic of the week. Very good. I picked the Green Lantern number six. Excellent. Um, I've been really enjoying the series, but this one I I thought was uh, was particularly good. It seemed a bit more focused than than previous. Like I think the story is kind of coming together and sort of streamlining as as threads start to come together. But this one was basically very self contained. I mean, you go in, um, Hal Jordan has infiltrated the Black Stars, but it's like you've got sort of like a potential triple cross going mm-hmm. on here because you know we we saw the guardians assign him to infiltrate them but the black stars know that he's infiltrating them but he says that even though he was sent to infiltrate them he really is starting to question his allegiance to the green lanterns now we the reader know that's almost certainly not true but there's sort of an interesting thing where he's kind of he's threading a very yeah. <laughs> precarious needle um but the whole thing here is that he's presented with adam strange who's who's tied up and says okay kill this guy to prove your allegiance to us and then he seems like he finds a way around it in a really a, really One interesting way mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool little bits on ran here we see sardath and alana and their daughter Aaliyah, and it follows up on a lot of the classic adam strange stuff seemingly jettisoning jettisoning all the new 52 adam strange stuff which wasn't really a huge loss Honestly, the best thing the new 52 uh, version did was give us a more kind of kick-ass version of Alana because she was almost the lead in a weird way. I'm trying to remember exactly how it broke down, but it seemed and she was this she was like an archaeology grad student who was working with this sort of who was working with Adam Strange, mm-hmm. but they were also romantically involved, but she was the one that kind of got to she, she was human in this and, and I'm trying oh. to remember in the new 52 conception she was human and she was kind of the link to Ran and he kind of went along for the ride kind of and so over time he ended up getting more of the spotlight because he's the more recognizable character but for a while it kind of seemed like they were positioning her as the new quote the new quote unquote Adam Strange mm-hmm. you know that she had her own cool outfit it was kind of like like his space armor but with blue instead of red mm-hmm. um and she was um, she was dark skinned too, so she was supposed to be you know like I'm trying to remember exactly what her ethnicity was, um, and they were Canadian too I think they, for I don't know why they did this for whatever reason they they were, they were for like the University of British Columbia or something with their archaeology, um, but all that's gone now and she's back to sort of being the 50s 60s sci-fi style mm-hmm. not to say that she's not a strong character in her own way but just from the way she's dressed and, and everything she kind of looks like she came off of one of those 50s 60s she you know, did, pulp, like poster, pulp yeah. novel mm-hmm. sci-fi covers you know like the space princess basically mm-hmm. um i mean which is fine because that's the way the character was created to be and you know yeah. you don't have to necessarily update everything this if adam strange is going to be the lead then you might want to keep certain classic trappings around him and maybe just like update him a little bit anyway um so some cool stuff with Rand there. One thing that I liked that they kept, I think this was from the Adam, was it, I can never remember whether it was Adam Kubert or Andy Kubert, did a um, did an Adam Strange miniseries, which was weird and weird and dark and kind of like made him go insane for a while at the end and Mark oh, Wade had to come along later in JLA and fix it. Um, but I think that they, they raised the idea, it might have predated that, but that's where I first encountered it, that, that Rand has like a fertility problem that their race is dying out because Ooh. their people just aren't able of 
able to produce offspring anymore. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons why Adam Strange was like the great hope to their planet wasn't just that he would fight space monsters for them, but that he could potentially provide them genetic material, continue to populate the ra- race in some way. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of get it. They kind of hinted that here where he's when they think he's dead they immediately people show up to harvest him they're like oh we can use him for this this and also for like mm-hmm. genetic stock and so like so they kind of on ran nothing is wasted they had yeah. this thing so i think the the way they're positioning is like this cold almost like um movie krypton like this sort of cold sterile place where people have forgotten yeah. how to live kind of mm-hmm. thing and it, here comes this rough and tumble earth man who sort of shows them shakes things up shakes, and shakes things up and them. reminds them how to be how to be you know how to live life kind of thing um so anyway it's 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 kind of tropey but it's the classic thing and you know it's it's a green lantern story and so you bring him in as sort of this Mm -hmm. as sort of a flavor instead of actually having to flesh flesh out the thing entirely but i enjoyed it because i mean it's the the way he um hal jordan gets around having to kill him is interesting and Mm -hmm. the the all the maneuvering like is he secretly working for them and Mm -hmm. and then the um the controller Moo, who's the uh, Moo or Mew, is probably the I don't know. Neither one I sounds very Moo. imposing when you say it out loud. Controller Moo sounds like a cow. Controller Mew sounds like a Pokemon. Um, <laughs> but you, um, they, it seems like he's he's killed by mm-hmm. like his subordinate lady. But there's this bomb that would like destroy all of the galaxy or something. Yeah. And he left it there behind. And how somehow it seems like he sacrifices himself to destroy it. But then we find out that what I guess he did as a way of surviving is go inside his ring. Mm-hmm. But he's got amnesia now. And there we find this was his name Merwidden or something like that. Yeah. This this character that I had to look up because his name was only vaguely familiar. It's like this magical character that used to fight Abensur and Abensur imprisoned him inside the ring, which is now Hal's. Mm-hmm as a way of getting him out of the way and so now he's got to deal with this guy in there and this guy knows who Hal is and was presumably going to torture you know torture mm-hmm. him or manipulate him somehow but Hal doesn't remember so uh, there's a lot of stuff happening and I'm really enjoying it. of course the art by Liam Sharp all the designs like the oh, designs yeah. on Ran and all the alien races and stuff are really cool looking so mm-hmm. I continue to really enjoy it that's awesome I enjoyed it as well so shall we move on to our pop quiz slash activity Ooh, I am ready. Yes. So this week, since we've been having so much fun rating things, and because we've been talking about uh, John Cryer's Lex Luthor awesome. on Supergirl a lot, awesome. I thought we would rank the Lex Luthers. Whoa. So I've got eight actors who played Lex Luthor, even in live action or animation. Okay. Almost all of which, if not all of which, you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. I think there might be one exception, although I think you did watch a little bit of this show, presumably Ages early ago. on when this when Lex Luthor was actually on the show. Um, so I'll name the actors okay. and where they're from, okay. and then we can... Get to work. Okay. Okay. So we've got, obviously, Gene Hackman yep. from the Christopher Reeve movies, Kevin yep. Spacey from Superman Returns, mm-hmm. um, Jesse Eisenberg from uh, the recent uh, mm-hmm. DCEU movies, um, John Shea from Lois and Clark. This is the one I wasn't sure how familiar you were no. with him. You saw a little bit of Lois and Clark, though, I right? saw Lois and Clark. He was Clark, in basically every see. episode of the first season. He was a regular in the first season. So if that was the season you watched when it first started airing, you probably saw him a little bit. But it sounds like you don't really remember. Mm-mm. All right, so that's a bit Sorry. of a blind spot. Um, Michael Rosenbaum, of course, from mm-hmm. Smallville. Uh, John Cryer from Supergirl. Uh, Clancy Brown from mm-hmm. Superman, the animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, a yep. bunch of other stuff, endless video games and... Yep. Other animated projects yeah. and stuff. And uh, Mark Rolston from uh, Young Justice. Ooh. Oh, that was Of a course, there's one. a bunch of other people that have played him in animation. Sure. But the, the 
DC animated universe stuff and the Young Justice stuff are more sort of iconic, prominent and, and in my mind than you know, like this random director video movie. I mean, there's been a lot of good, like like James Marsders mm-hmm. was really good in the Superman Doomsday animated movie. I don't know if you remember that one. There's been a bunch of really good one-off Lex Luthers sure. in terms of like an ongoing commitment to the role. Yep, these are the the main guys. Although I guess Kevin Spacey only played him once too, but that was a big, in a movie, big budget movie. Yeah. So it's sort of so. What, so what would be your? I don't know whether you want to start from the bottom mm-hmm. or the top. It's it's in some ways it's also not really fair to put the the animated animated ones in with the live action. Well, ones I feel bad because I can't really find a placement for the Lex Luthor that I never saw or should have. Well, that's fine. Exclude him. Remember, then. yeah, exclude I'll have to then. exclude him just in in service of fairness. Um, let's see. My my favorite 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 Lex Luthor is definitely Clancy Brown. I thought you would say that. Yeah. Um, followed immediately by Michael Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. I think our rankings are going to be pretty similar. <laughs> um, and then after that, um, let's see, who, who else? Uh, now I can look at the list, right? Yeah. So after that, I'm going to say John Cryer. Because, wow, that high. Yep. He really, <laughs> who would have really thought, Who would have it. thought that there would exist a list where John Cryer is ranked higher <laughs> than Gene Hackman or Kevin Spacey? Yep. Um... And then after that, I'm going to say the guy who, who played him in Young Justice. Well, you're literally looking at the names right now. Mark, Mark Rolston. Well, I couldn't remember which one or John Shea because I don't remember either of their names. It's roughly in chronological order. And then... Well, I guess not really. And but. then I'm going to say Kevin Spacey because he was really chilling. He was like, mm. And then I'm going to say Gene Hackman. And then I'm going to say... Um, um, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg. Hmm. Just because... I think he played the part the way he was supposed to, like he was directed to, but I just think the concept, the building of the character and the way he was written and then portrayed was just all in all such a bad idea. Uh, Not a fan. Not a fan. Not for me. Let's put it that way. Not for me. They tried something and for me it was a swish and a miss. You know, like, sorry. Yeah. Um, So that's my ranking. What about you? So I think it's going to be pretty similar. I mean, it's almost unfair to put the animated I, I mean I guess yeah. I guess it's oh, we I should guess have the, changed up the, the main thing is that it's unfair to put versus... Clancy Brown in there because oh, he's yeah. played him so many times although I guess Michael Rosenbaum played him for like seven straight years yeah. and then a few more times after that mm-hmm. too so I guess that's a, the longest sustained run yeah I think I'd have to, I think I'd have to put it put it um, put Clancy Brown at the top two um, and then probably followed by Michael Rosenbaum um, yeah I think our rankings I mean the thing is that I, I really like I, I mean, Gene Hackman is great in those movies. Yes, the, the character he's playing is is hard, is almost unrecognizable as a modern Lex Luthor. But you got to remember, this was yeah almost forty years ago. He was supposed to be a mustache twirling. Villain. Yeah, he was like a yeah. he was like a Batman villain, basically. You yeah, know, like sure. a, an Adam West series Batman villain, which which was. An interesting choice at the time when everything else in that movie was very grounded. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, but but as as the one sort of. Um, comic booky flamboyant of, mm-hmm. element in an otherwise straight faced movie. I feel like that w- that was. So is he your number three? I don't know. I it's it, it's hard for me to rank after the top two because I I think that everybody everybody else did a great job playing their particular version. Like I wouldn't like nobody else is trying to do the same thing. Sure. Like Kevin, I, I thought that Kevin Spacey did a fantastic job at taking a guy that that. Is that could have come from Gene because it's supposed to be the same version as Gene Hackman's yeah. Lex Luthor, only like ten years later or however many years later. Like this guy who was so flippant and flamboyant, and yet um, 
yet brilliant vicious when mm-hmm. he needed to be mm-hmm. take him and put him in prison with the worst of the worst for like 10 years and he comes out just like a like a there's nothing flamboyant anymore well yeah. you have you have elements of it like there's a scene where right. you, like there's a couple of scenes where he's a little over the top and he still has the wigs sometimes but this is a guy who's been like stripped down to the bare essentials mm-hmm. you know like he is mm-hmm. he's come out and he is like a he is like a mad dog now like he just wants one thing and that's to see superman suffer yeah and he he's he's vicious and cruel in a way that gene hackman's lex luther wasn't because this guy's been put through a crucible mm-hmm. of having to survive in a harsh prison yeah. environment but again like this is your ranking based on not just how the actor portrays the character but also how well the part itself was written and conceptualized and that's why i had to like as much as i really loved gene hackman's performance and i understand how it was written the whole characterization is not just the performance of the actor I, it's I, also yeah you know, i think i'd have to maybe tie them for third then put john crier after them mm-hmm. i mean a lot of some of that might just be the fact that like i i grew up watching Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor and I've watched Superman Returns a bunch of times so they're they're just more burned into my brain than John Cryer's it's like literally it's only been two weeks that we've seen his version so it's hard it's it's hard for me to I know it's hard for me to position it right now I John Shea did a great job as Lex Luthor he was he was playing very much a modern version of Lex Luthor Hmm. he was the he was the suave businessman who was doing illegal dealings yep on the hush hush, but mm-hmm. but was to the world presented as like this philanthropist well, businessman wooing Lois Lane on the series as he did, and all these things, and and so he, you know, I he did a he did a great job as that, and they brought him back a little bit later. Um, yeah, I, I I liked him. He was one. I mean, the first season of Lois, Lois and Clark was really good, and the series got kind of silly after a while. They kind of got sillier and sillier, okay. but the first season was actually pretty grounded, and he was a, he was a really good element in that. Um, God, I feel like I'm sure it's changing Mark Rolston though, because he's he's excellent in Young Justice too. Yeah, that but was I feel really like wonderful. He's only been in like maybe six or seven episodes though, so it's oh, kind of so hard. Oh, so now you're to, counting the number of okay. no, but it's it's because we haven't seen him play nearly as many shades of the character, like Clancy Brown. Fair. He played mostly he played mostly one note. He played it excellently, but mostly one note through the original run of Superman the Animated Series, which was like ruthless businessman sure. guy. Then, but then when you got into Justice League, he got to be like desperate. Mm-hmm. Out and out supervillain, and then he got to play like reformed mm-hmm. presidential candidate Luther, and then, he got to and then the final perspective. Well, yeah, Do you remember the, that episode where he was rebuilding Brainiac? I think. Well, that was in Superman the Animated Series. Yeah, that that I was really his best. That. That, that was, was his, his best, best episode, episode Ghost yeah. in the Machine. But then but even again, even when you get into later Justice League Unlimited, where he had where he'd merged with Brainiac and then come out of it, and now he oh, just yeah. desperately wants that godhood back, and so mm-hmm. he's like unhinged talking to thin air mm-hmm. um, desperate Lex Luthor like that was a really new interesting thing so he got to play so many different shades of that character mm-hmm. that I think that's the reason why it stands out where someone like Mark Rolston because he's like way down the list of in terms of like important characters on that show you know sure. mm-hmm. so he mostly just gets to play as like secretive yeah I'm, he got to play season know, one of, yeah season one right. Superman Lex Luthor you know yeah um and Jesse Eisenberg, I think he, he he does a good job with the role. As I see what they were trying to do, I, yeah. I think he does a good job with it. I think it was an interesting thing to do, like um, on the spectrum, young tech billionaire mogul Lex Luthor, as opposed to older ruthless businessman. Like like the the version of Lex Luthor that we the Clancy Brown play, Mark Rolston, um, John Shea, even. John Cryer, to a certain extent, like in the flashbacks, where he presumably was a legitimate businessman for a while, is the version that John Byrne created after Crisis on Infinite Earths, where he had the idea of like what... 
the way he said it was like okay for the first 50 years of his of his existence lex luther was like he was a mad scientist and then he was like an escaped convict and then he was a, a te- high-tech supervillain wearing power armor because those mm-hmm. are like what did we think of the of being what what is like what does the public think of as like the bad guy? Mm-hmm. Well, in the 30s and 40s, it was like a mad scientist or an arms dealer, mm-hmm. right? And then later on, it was like the sci-fi supervillain, mm-hmm. you know, with with death rays and power armor. Mm-hmm. But then once you got to the 80s, what was the what did the public think was the height of power and evil? It was the corrupt businessman, right? Because mm-hmm. this was the era of Wall Street and all that right. stuff, right? Yep. Um, so that was the conception, and pretty much every version of Lex Luthor after that used that as a starting point, right? Mm-hmm. But when you when you do that same thing now what do we think of as what do we think of as like the the height of power and corruption today mm-hmm. aside from perhaps politicians it would be like an amoral like social media ceo basically right like a, yeah, like a yeah. uh, or a tech mogul mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. they have all the power and their company can do whatever they want and they're not beholden to anybody and they get whatever they want all the time you know yep. it's it's similar to what it was in the 80s but it's not like fast insider trading right. you know it's wall street now. mogul it's it's you know, sure, yeah. So he's playing that in like the young Wunderkind, you know, right. guy like instant overnight billionaire. I mean, he, genius, he played. Yeah. Um, he, give me a second. He, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. There you go. He played that same character. I think the idea was, oh, let's have him play that guy, but I was going to say, but evil, but more evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that guy, that's but hilarious. as a supervillain, as opposed to just you know an right. everyday villain. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what he did, and he played him in a sort of an affected way that was that made him seem like he was also I don't want I don't want to be too pejorative but seemed like there was more going on with him than just a lack of morality like he he also had like, oh. like I said, like he was—he seemingly like was on the spectrum, or there was some there was something more like, going on. You're with talking him. about his physical mannerisms, his well, uh, yeah, just like the high pitched lilting voice that he gave him in a lot of scenes, and the way that he was always like he was very manic in some ways. Right. Like he was there always were, moving his there hands. There were some jitters like he, there. It seemed yeah. like there was a lot. Like his performance, like when he approached the role, he wasn't just be like, okay, I'm going to play this guy as a smooth villain that just happens to be young. Mm-hmm. Like he brought a lot of other aspects of mm-hmm. like a quirk to it. You know, sure. like uh, for what you can like, Gene Hackman is really the only other Lex Luthor that you could point to on this list and say he's quirky, you know? Sure, yeah. And I think like he was trying to bring some of that to it too. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think he did a good job with that, but is I think he that's an interesting character and it was well played. And I think it was even actually pretty well written, but to me it's, it's not very recognizably Lex Luthor, which is not yes. something I say very often because normally I'm very open to alternate interpretations. It actually doesn't really, doesn't bother me. But when I'm, when you're going to rank Lex Luthers, yes. I feel like the fact that he doesn't really seem very Lex Luthor-y can't mm-hmm. help but ding him here. Mm-hmm. I, it actually, I actually don't mind the character and wouldn't mind seeing more of him in other movies, whether that happens or not. I don't know, as they seem like they're more and more inclined to distance themselves in those first few movies. Sure. Um, so I don't know if we'll see him again, but I would I would like to see more of well, him. They see set up Deathstroke, didn't they? Yeah, but that was before the new Justice League was going to largely fail. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him, but when you're ranking him with other Lex Luthers, I I feel like he right. kind of has to go near the bottom just because everybody else is so good it at playing Lex Luthor. It was I I sort of when I ranked it just now, like I was also going on how I received it. You know, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and so yeah, I mean my personal ranking is that it didn't really land for me, and I appreciate the work that went into it. It just didn't, like you said, it wasn't really how I feel Lex Luthor should have been. Like, you can have the young tech mogul, you can even give him, um, I don't know, mannerisms to imply that he's 
not quote end quote normal in in the everyday sense of the word um that there are certain things about him that i don't know could be deemed as nerdy or awkward or even on the spectrum whatever um but it just it felt too far away from the lex luthor that we typically know like for example like you wouldn't really identify superman as i don't know Mm, under five foot five you know like i, well, I don't know yeah I mean, there, there's, there are, there's there are limits to how far you can stretch certain aspects of some of these characters so and, is my and, point and that i think that went beyond beyond that limit for a lot of people yeah but i think you, you do have a bit more latitude with the villains than you do with the heroes a True. lot of time like uh, the the tim burton movies like the version of catwoman i mean the Catwoman and Penguin and Batman Returns are iconic, right? But they bear almost no resemblance to the versions in the comics. Like Catwoman being a woman with almost what we would now call almost metahuman abilities, and mm-hmm. it's like she's resurrected by cats, okay. and she has like yeah. feline qualities, and she has like nine lives somehow. And Penguin is like this weird mutant child who was raised in the sewers. Like you've seen enough other versions yep. now. Like Catwoman is. A regular person who just happens to be a thief, sometimes, some, sometimes for like activist reasons, other times just because she's a bit of a kleptomaniac. Mm-hmm. And Penguin is a little odd-looking, but he's a regular dude. Mm-hmm. He's not like some weird sewer mutant, right? right. So those versions are very different. And the, Danny DeVito, like with the like the eating the fish and like the black yeah, bile yeah. coming out yeah. of his mouth, like it's. But because those versions are now like we grew up with that mm-hmm. right and yeah. those versions are kind of iconic we think like oh sure that's just a that's a valid version of that character i don't think this version of lex luther is any more um of a deviation from the lex luther canon than say the danny devito penguin was for example i think a lot yeah. of, i think a lot of it just has to be with what we're what we've had time to get used to as with so many of these things I and it's, but it, it's also purely subjective and personal so i'm not yeah exactly I'm not, and he ended up at the bottom of my list too so i'm not i'm not saying you're wrong i think it's just for different reasons i think in my case it's just because i guess it is for this i, I guess it is for the same reason he just doesn't seem as recognizably lex luther yeah but for you i think it was more of a problem and for me it's just it's not a problem so much as it is just a factor why he ends up at the bottom of list of lex i'd Luthers. be curious to have this exact conversation to a comic book fan who is 10 years younger than us because i wonder if being a child of the 90s um growing up with the tim burton versions of whatever like i don't mind the what the characters you were just talking about i'm not going to run down the list again but i wonder if somebody out there watching the movies now adopts to this version as lex luther as an a completely equal and plausible uh, characterization as, say, I don't know, the cartoons were to us. You know? Yeah, I mean, the Marvel movies change characters a lot, too. Like, they could read you a laundry list of characters that are almost unrecognizable from the comic book versions, but because those movies are so successful for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons, those versions almost end up becoming the, the default version, and the comics kind of end up mimicking them sure you know yeah so sometimes it goes hand a lot in of it hand, is yeah, just what ends forth. up being really popular right. like if this movie if, if batman v superman had ended up like the top grossing movie of all time mm-hmm. i bet you start to see other versions of lex luther hue a bit more to Towards that. that yeah because that's mm-hmm. always what happens when you have a new v- version of a character in a different media that is that a huge hit off, yeah it ends up informing everything else yep. it's just like i've seen it happen a thousand times with these characters sure. so it's it, a lot of it's just what happens to catch the zeitgeist like they thought they had their finger on the pulse of like oh man what is like the ultimate right. evil for for people of this generation and for a variety of reasons because the movie didn't end up doing that well mm-hmm. it just didn't really 
catch and, that lightning yeah, in the bottle that not, way. But nope. if it had, then I bet we would there'd be a whole generation of kids for whom that was their mm-hmm. version of Lex Luthor, which saying. is fine. I mean, yeah. this, the character is the version we think of when we re- go down this whole list is again almost unrecognizable when compared to the version that originally appeared in the comics in the 30s and the 40s. Yeah, You know, the whole idea of him Mm -hmm. being a a businessman or even a scientist came way later than that. He was originally like a henchman and and with red hair and everything, and he wasn't even bald in his first appearance. Right. Do you you know how he ended up being bald? Uh, It was a fire, wasn't it? Well, no, I mean, like... in various oh. versions, there's various explanations, but behind the scenes, the, the, the Doyleist reading as opposed to the Watsonian reading, one could say, why why he ended up being drawn as bald all of a sudden when before he wasn't being drawn the as bald. The artist ran out of time? I don't know. <laughs> he didn't have time to draw that hair. <laughs> no, because um, there was a bald, evil supervillain character, of oh, course, one that you've right. heard of, you the ultra-humanite, ultra yep. who had a henchman with red hair named um, just named Luther. Mm-hmm. The name Lex Luthor even came, That's I think, so like, decades later. He was just called Luther. Yep. Um, and then it was a the the, root, yeah. the the legend is that the artist got, confused the two characters mm-hmm. and later drew Luther to look like the ultra humanite was supposed to look, and That's so funny. then Luther kind of became the main yep. um, bald supervillain character. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, so should we move on to our shows? Yes, I'm ready. So we only have three shows this week. Um, Star Trek Discovery, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow is back because nice. we haven't watched last week's Doom Patrol yet. That's right, yeah. So why, why don't we just quickly talk about the DC shows first, because I'm not sure we have a, a ton to say about them. So the Supergirl episode, I, the two main threads here were, um, you know, they positioned the Red Daughter, mostly mostly mm-hmm. Eve. I mean, this one's called All About Eve. And I guess it kind of, it, I obviously, you know, the, the title, the monster, title is yeah. a play on words, but mm-hmm. I guess it's not really a play on words so much as it is a reference, because yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's not like it's a pun or anything. Say, it's yeah. a reference. Um, it's, she's not really in it very much, but all the characters are kind of using her as a lead to find... Luther, so I guess that's why they use the well, name. Well, they're also using her um, interactions with Luther, Luther to fill in the gaps of what happened. Right, and to, but she's to not to right in just backstory. in it that much. It's a lot of people talking about, talking about her mostly. I was hoping that we would get a also bit more true. insight into her motivations and stuff here. Well, but we, we got some. A little. We don't. We didn't really get much. We just. She's apparently not above curing her sick family members too. So she's apparently yeah. not all bad. But it's not like we learn what made her fall in love with Lex Luthor or why she ended up so twisted, you know, mm-hmm. that such a thing would even be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're trying to track down Luther. The, the Red Daughter is put into position and attacks the White House, seemingly killing a lot of people. I mean, yep. she was using, I guess she might have had her heat vision, you know, what? on no. stun. <laughs> I don't when think she that's was how it works. People. I don't um, think that's how it works. Uh, and then, and, and, um, I almost called him Jimmy because, um, Lex Luthor is on the show now and he calls him Jimmy because he knew him back when he was Jimmy, right? When he was oh, just Jimmy Olsen. Do you right, know that? Yes. But Lex always calls him Jimmy mm-hmm. because that's he's from like the classic Superman adventures. Funny. Um, mm-hmm. He says, he reveals to um, Sam Whitwer there, I'm blanking on his name. Lockwood. Uh, Lock, ben Lockwood. Um, he he intimates to him that Luthor might be behind all behind this. Behind all this. Mm-hmm. And... It's, and I'm not sure where they're going with that because then at the end he's seemingly the sole survivor of the attack on the White House and he definitely looks shaken. Um, and I guess it's the simplest reading would just be always shaken because he was almost killed. Sure. And his son was there too. Yeah. I guess so. He's not the sole survivor. His son made it out too. Um, Lucky for them. Do you think they're? Do you, where do you think they're going with this? Do you think that because now that Lex is here, it almost seems like he's going to have to be the big bad of the season. Do you think that Lockwood is going to not necessarily become a good guy, but the idea of being in bed with Lex Luthor is too far even for him, and so he's going to not necessarily become good, or, or even necessarily reform or change his opinions on things, but maybe go so far as to like help 
slightly. Um, I think he will. Like yeah. maybe help because them catch Lex Luthor just because he can't stand the idea that of being used. of being manipulated that yeah, way. Yeah, I don't think that he likes that idea. That I think he he forms his opinions by himself, and he doesn't like the idea that somebody behind the scenes has been manipulating events such that he would be put into this position Although, or offered this job or anything that's like the, that. That's kind of the obvious way to go. But when you think about it, he and Lex Luthor. Share 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 a lot of opinions, yeah. right? Like humans first, get these aliens out of here. They're a threat to and us, whether they seem that, that way or not. Too, I yeah, think. that's kind of. I want to see him. I want to see him and Luther Unravel actually that, like yeah. in, in a scene together. And I, I hope it's just not. Oh, like we're totally on the same page. Like I want to see like. I want to see a oh, bit there's of going to be a bit of a tug of war you know? because those two personalities are both incredibly alpha and they're yeah, both I was incredibly say, just cunning. Like ego wise, yeah. yeah, but they're also very cunning. Both I don't of know them are how very cunning. Lockwood is. He's cunning enough to have had an entire infrastructure, and not only that, but like yeah, he kind of fell into a lot of the the. True, the, he's but had the a lot way of good he fortune. manipulates people with just words. It's mostly into just following. He's a got a silver cause. tongue. And he's got a silver tongue, and he's charismatic. But I'm not sure how how much of a nationalistic, yeah, like behind the scenes mover and shaker but no, I'm playing chess a hundred moves ahead of you kind of thing he, he seems like kind of like a like a blunt instrument who just happens to have a way he's not that blunt he's a, he's, he's silver tongued but he's not I don't think he's particularly insightful when it comes to the human condition and manipulating people because he's so like anybody who has the opinions that he has mm-hmm. you know about mm-hmm. you know species and race and America and so on supremacy is yeah. not not a particularly deep thinker you know mm-hmm. what I mean like <laughs> Lex Luthor has has his opinions, and a lot of them align in their goals with Lockwood. Right. But Luthor has much more thoroughly interrogated his own beliefs Mm -hmm. and has arrived at them in a much more Socratic way, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. than Lockwood has, who's just kind of like, aliens bad because aliens make my life bad. Aliens didn't make Lex Luthor's life bad. Lex Luthor was on top of the world. Mm -hmm. He, He didn't have to descend into a life of crime to fight Superman. He chose to do that because of what he believed right. was in the greater moral imperative for humanity. Exactly. Lockwood is just operating basically out of petty revenge in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, because mm-hmm. of what happened to his father and his family business and everything. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for either of them because Lex Luthor is kind of like a cartoonish supervillain and Lockwood is just reprehensible. Right. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that necessarily I, I, I empathize with one above the other, but I think Lex Luthor is about a million, a million steps ahead of somebody like Lockwood and if they actually were to get into it, I'm not putting a lot of uh, faith in Lockwood to come out on top in, in any way. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. We both know who the little bad and the big bad are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then there's the whole sequence where um, Jean oh, yes, has his like little spirit quest there where mm-hmm. Carl Lumbly comes out. I'm so, so happy he so back. So I was... I so obviously it. he was... Obviously he was... There's something off about him from the moment he walked oh, in because sure. he was acting very strange. Mm-hmm. So uh, at first I was thinking that this is not really him, that this is some mental manipulation Mm-hmm. perhaps Manchester Black's doing or mm-hmm. something going on. Someone was telepathically posing as his father to manipulate him into giving up or turning bad mm-hmm. or whatever. Because it's kind of like what, what Manchester Black has been trying to get him to do. And even though he's seemingly dead now, I'm not sure we really buy that that's permanent. Yeah, um, no. And then, but then it turned out that he was just sort of playing apart to get John to realize who he really was, you know? Uh-huh. What did you so you seemed like you noticed that he was off. What was your I noticed that initial he was read off, on why he but was But honestly, my thought was that he did come back, but he was being off on purpose in order to push. So you you thought it was I thought it was what him. it ended up being. 
Actually, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm awesome. I thought that he was, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought that there was something else going on, that he was, well, there the was, was being right? manipulated because, in some way. Um, so he was by his own mind, because that at the end it turned out, like, I genuinely thought that it was the spirit of his father returned. Like, I didn't Well, that, it kind of is, because, I mean, kinda, the Martians yeah. with their whole, like, That's he true. passed on the whole race memory of mm-hmm. Mars to Jean. Like, he, Including he's, memories he could have himself. I think that it's entirely, I'm not sure if it was made explicit in this episode or not, but I think it's entirely within the realm of how they've established Martians to operate here, that there's some mental remnant of his father in him because they kind of like you know Vulcans in Star Trek right right like when they mind meld yeah you remember like true. when Picard uh-huh. and Sarah had the mind meld the he's like part track. of you will always sure. be with me and I, you know like all that stuff and then Burnham has a part of um Sarek's Katra in her that he can like they can mentally communicate over long did you remember that thing because oh, yeah. she was killed in the the logic That's right, I remember not this. killed almost killed in the logic extremist attack when and she was young saved. and Sarek saved her somehow using a mind meld part of his spirit is in her and so ne- that was their explanation for why they could she could sense that he was in danger from right. light years away or whatever yeah, I don't yeah. know Vulcans I'm not sure that's really <laughs> Vulcan science. They're in the canon at all, but that's that's how they, they went about it. I think there's something similar going on here, like because their minds were so intertwined. Yeah, and there's they something to be so said about that because part of him still in him. Yeah. He lives on through his son's memories, mm-hmm. you know, in some way. Um, yeah, and so I'm so when he realizes at the end that he's the Martian Manhunter, mm-hmm. it's sort of a fist pump moment. Yeah. I guess that just means that. But what does that mean, practically speaking? That not that because he, he's not a man of peace anymore. Because Martian Manhunter punches people all the time, right? But that he's he's not going to be he's not going to be torn up about the fact that he's not a peace not a man of peace anymore. But neither is he a killer. He Correct. is a superhero, basically. Yes. Is that yes. is that what that's that's what that's supposed to symbolize? Because like, um, I mean, because he was I'm a manhunter on Mars on. already. Exactly. So it could, but that's their equivalent of like a police officer. Sure. And so I wanted to say, I mean, I didn't. We don't have to get into the comics, which more clearly defines what what that is. But um, basically, he's saying, "I am going to be a defender of the good, but I will use my fists to do it if I have to, and I'm not going to be afraid of having to get into a yeah. scrap so he's here and there." Back where he was, basically. Pretty much, but this time he owns it, I which guess. is nice. Yeah, which is nice because you thought you you're right. What is the point of all this? <laughs> You're absolutely right. What is the point of this journey? I thought for sure he knew who he was after living on a planet for, you know, three hundred years, pushing three hundred years. Well, he had a crisis. He had a crisis of. of Oh, you know why? Oh, I know why. That makes sense. Hold on, because because the whole thing with his father, he wanted to be close to his father, and yeah, also follow the here. path of his father because of the sacred duty which with with which he was charged, which is to carry on the um, what were they runes of Mars or whatever it was, which only a holy man can do, which only a man of peace such as his father could do. And so he really wanted to take on that persona and so now live he's just in gonna, it. So now he's just going to bury them in the desert. Now he's, he's like, just going to bury them in the Martian, <laughs> Martian desert. Well, I mean, and then I don't like, know. oh, one day they perhaps they'll be found by somebody worthy. What, no. what makes you think they're not going to be found by some complete rando who just happens to be on an archaeological expedition? We're not expedition talking about exactly. We're not talking about Excalibur over yeah. here. Like, no, no, no. Whosoever findeth these rooms, but it makes no, it sound very it noble that he's going to fly off in his it does, space though. convertible there and bury them in the but sand. But it does. But then again, you don't know, like, because there are lots of places on Mars that are psychically protected. Maybe that actually is kind of an Excalibur move, right? Or maybe they can put up like a psychic protection spell maybe i shouldn't say spell because it's a different sort of set of um talents i should say or characteristics no 
what am I looking for? Whatever, I know <laughs> I know what I'm trying to say. Like, magic is its own thing, but um, psychicness and telepathy and all that, you know, Martian stuff, that's, that's a part of their species identity. That's the part of their, I don't know, skill set. So that's not the same thing as being a magician at all. Mm. Um, I don't know, yeah, so they could put up some protection spell around that. Maybe it is an Excalibur kind of move. I don't know. We'd have to find. <laughs> we'd have to talk to Martian Manhunter to find out. Anyway, I liked it. I didn't. I didn't uh, find any sort of refrigerator moments until we started talking about it now. But now I'm back on board to liking it. I talked myself back down. <laughs> do you have Do you have much to say about Legends of, Legends of Tomorrow? It was a really fun episode. It was but so I'm not sure fun. There's really much to interrogate. I just people who guys, if you're not watching it, get on that because I don't want to go into all the little nitty gritty things that I really enjoyed because all the character moments are are really nicely written and. The whole spy aspect thing of it and um, Ava dancing with Sarah was awesome. And um, what else? Oh, the conflict they had. Oh, the headbutting thing that interrupts on their relationship. Like, I was there for all of it. All of it was was. It seemed a little then, a little melodrama-y. Sure, where it's the kind of thing that I, that I don't like where it's like... I know. If, if, they, if they just actually sat down and had a conversation, if Sarah had just been like, look, this is why I did this, because I had this information that you didn't have in X, Y, and Z, that even if Ava is of the opinion that it's okay to imprison or experiment on or do whatever to magical creatures... Right. The whole thing, the whole disagreement they were having throughout the episode was because Sarah was operating with more information that Ava didn't have. And mm -hmm. even by the end, Ava didn't let her get a word in and Sarah didn't really make a move to try to Reconcile. to try to fully explain herself. It was just like, oh, I guess we're having a fight or we're breaking up now. And they just sort of went their, went their separate yeah. ways. So I, it was I, a little I, bit it's one of those the things where the character could just, characters would just actually tell each other the information that they have that the other doesn't have. They would, might still have an honest difference of opinions about the, about these experiments or whatever, but presumably they had that difference of opinion before. Yeah. It just hadn't really come up. So it's not like that's a roadblock for their relationship. They could probably work around that. Mm -hmm. It's just the whole, like, you didn't follow my orders. You went behind my back. You did all this stuff. It's like, well, no, it's because, you know, like, I knew that here's the evidence that I have that there was a conspiracy within your agency. That didn't come up. That might have been important information to give her. Right. Sarah didn't even tell her that. Yeah. Maybe she's afraid that it would put her in danger or that she might be part of it or something, but that wasn't made explicit to us. It just seemed like she was choosing not to tell her about the potentially dangerous conspiracy that it exists right under her nose. Right. So that bothered me a little, but I don't I don't think they're going to string it out for too long. I bet it gets resolved fairly soon that Ava learns learns what's going on or whatever that they don't they don't they're normally pretty good about not stringing these things out too much. Yeah. Um, so Star Trek Discovery, this one was called uh, Through the Valley of Shadows. So this one, they go to, I almost said Kronos, not Kronos, Boreth, mm -hmm. uh, the site of the the monastery that we've seen in other Star Trek series and was referenced, if not seen in an earlier episode here, where they bring the little baby, little albino Klingon mm -hmm. baby to the planet. Um, so uh, Pike needs to go down and get the time crystals. Yes. Which is a, which is a word that, uh, uh. a term that I'm still not thrilled with in, in, in the context of Star Trek because it really sounds like more of a Doctor Who or does, Star Wars kind yeah. of thing. Um, the idea that Borath, so I don't know, it's, it's an interesting, I've heard people say that, so I don't know, it takes some getting used to the idea that there's this whole aspect to Klingon society that we've never heard seen before. or I feel like mm -hmm. this is similar to the conversation we had last time about the whole aspect of federation society that we never heard of before which is that there's a that this ai that makes a lot of important decisions that's never been referenced before here there's this whole aspect of klingon society that this never been referenced before um this sort of 
weird splinter faction slash religious group that sees it as like their holy duty to look over these time crystals because of their power. Yep. Um, and it's like, it, it almost seems like, I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I, I want to watch it again because I'm trying to, I think, I think the guy, so the guy that ends up being, I can't remember his name now, um, the guy that ends up being their son, their son, son of none, says they, I can't. They only mentioned it like once when he introduced himself, a, and it was kind of confusing. Tea, like it was Takima or something like that. Like it's a three-syllable word that starts with yeah. Tea well, it wasn't Takuvma because no, that's somebody else. No, um, but but they did uh, like but he it, says something yeah. like, "Oh, the High Council," because uh, he Pike beams in. He's like, you know, I've got the chancellor of the high council up there and she says i'm totally cool to come down here and get some time crystals and the guy's like the high council has no sway here they stay out of our affairs or something like that so it's like well she said the ho 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 no we have no control over them she literally came to the ship and she says i can arrange a meeting that's all i can do i have no power of what they they have no i have no no jurisdiction so so that's it's interesting because that because not only that, but they view it as a sacred site. Do you remember when... when, right. when, when Hold on, let me but, finish. Yeah. Do you remember when Worf came to that place right. to worship? But it's sacred because of he the legend with, of Kalas, not because exactly. of the presence of time crystal. But still, yeah, I know. But they added yeah, they added that element to the monastery. But the monastery right. itself was always viewed as a no, sacred... No, I, I know that. Don't mess with that I know that, that place, but what, what the sense that I was getting here is that the High Council was aware of the power of these time crystals... The existence of them, maybe not the power. Well, the fact that they were being protected by Klingons is actually the best type of thing. Because who better to guard something with the, so the much potential high, power? The, the Klingon High Council and the whole Klingon ethos is like every, they they want to like conquer and control everything. Like if if the Klingon Empire, as we knew it later on, and like all the next gen stuff, knew that there was this this potentially um, insurmountable weapon at their fingertips, mm-hmm. they would use it the 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 idea or at the very least like they would the idea that there's this almost maybe they were wise enough hold on because i know that they're a warrior culture and their dominion overall is like their ultimate goal or ambition or in some cases but first off being honor bound as they are they wouldn't use such magic trickery to achieve their ends Mm. no 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 you know as well as i do that they talk a good game but there's a lot of klingons throughout history that have been like okay we'll just do this and then we'll make up an honorable excuse for it later sure true fair true but number two i know that some of them somewhere along the line may have been wise enough to be like look we're gonna shoot ourselves in the foot and blink ourselves out of existence if we try to mess with these things that we don't fully understand. So maybe we just put up a whole monastery over there and, you know, mark it as a worship place and also use them as guard dogs to prevent other people from getting their hands on this stuff. I think that that was a smart move. I just can't see... I just can't... I'm not saying I have a problem with it. It's like contrast to what we talked about last week but the the AI thing, but it's just... It's, it's, a, it's an interesting wrinkle that it seems like I, I kind of need to reconfigure the way I think about the Klingon Empire because I can't really picture, say, Gowron looking at any planet mm-hmm. or resource within the Klingon Empire and saying, oh, I have no I have no control over those Klingons. I have no sway over their, over their comings he, and goings. But or, even he was saying that nobody unworthy sets foot in the, te- in the monastery of Borath without whatever. And he, even he wasn't allowed there. <laughs> Klingons... 
I don't know. It's 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 like the 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 religious the spiritual religious. I guess it's not really spiritual, but it, it's um. I guess in a way, it's not even really religious because these are like literally a thing that you can hold and you can touch. They've kind of elevated it to a spiritual significance by saying like, oh, when you touch one of these things, it's almost like you're going on a vision quest or something, right? Like mm, they've kind of. I these think things, you're starting to blend it. I mean, that's kind of what no, but, happens. Oh, uh, the but... way the way that I really wish I could remember the character's name, but but. Tyler's son, the way that the the language that he used when describing their duty there, mm-hmm. and what and and the reason why Pike couldn't take a crystal, and the reason why the, what he would go through when he touched it, the all of those all the, his his language and all the trappings, and the, even the fact that they call themselves monks, like it it has a it has a a, a veneer of religion to it of. of well, you know what I mean? Yeah, again, it's a monastery right, to but worship these, but Kalish. The, but, the, but it's, uh, you don't have to go with the, Kalish, you don't Kalish, have to go whatever. With the effective pronunciation. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a different thing. Like these these are two, I don't know, the two don't have anything to do with each other. Is there is there an explanation for why these crystals happen to exist on this planet that is prophesied to be the place where Kalos returns? The two are seemingly completely unrelated, right? Like did they go? Did they go? Did they go there because that's where KLS pointed, and they just happened to find all these time crystals there? Like I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think I feel like this sect. This sect. Did did this guy? Did the son even mention to Pike? Did he even mention KLS once? Yeah. Did he? Um, I thought that maybe they, I'm super. That might have been why the Klingons know. came. There. It might have been now why I'm they doubting. ventured to this planet in the first place. But it seems like now these guys were all about the crystals and only the crystals. Maybe they modified the myth over time. And I mean, yeah, this is that, story that's, passed that's down. That's why it's so. That's why it's so weird to me. Is because. Klingons, I mean, Worf liked to talk about how the Klingons, he had this whole thing where the Klingons killed their gods millennia ago. They were more trouble than they were worth, you know? Like the, <laughs> Kling, the Klingons are not, they're spiritual in a way, usually just as it pertains to Kalas and his like constellation of other historical figures. Right. But those were real people that lived. Yeah. They're not a very religious people in the no. sense they don't, they don't pray to gods. No, they but don't they have, do, they draw example from stories of ancestors that came before. Yes. And that matters to them because they, that, those are, that's a philosophical way of being, right? Because if you live a certain mantra and you demonstrate the, the purity and value in being X, Y, Z, um, kind of a hero in your own life um and you demonstrate that although it's difficult to have honor if you do have honor like it, it makes you a better yeah, person the Klingon, the Klingon, that heroism is passed the Klingon down. spirituality is based on Example. actual historical yes. figures mm-hmm. and their moral imperatives yes but the idea of but, and bravery right mm-hmm. but but the idea of this other this almost um I was saying magical, but this the, the idea of the time crystals and what they can do and and how they fit into Klingon society seems very different than any other aspect of Klingon spirituality yes, that we've ever seen before. Absolutely, because it it, ha, it d- doesn't draw from any historic it's, it, Klingon Klingon um, society and culture. There's not really any difference between Klingon spirituality and their their culture you know what i mean like they're it's all yeah, one it's thing all, like it is they don't they don't have thing, yeah. a lot of highfalutin religious beliefs it's like this is a guy that existed mm-hmm. here's a weapon mm-hmm. that he held we mm-hmm. can te- prove that he's a real guy because his blood is still on mm-hmm. there here's the words that he wrote here's the places that he went to mm-hmm. these are the things that he said it's all based on historical fact mm-hmm. but but the propping up of these of this mineral as almost like deifying this crystal that they happen to 
like building a whole religious sect around it. Like we haven't really seen any Klingon religious sects, right? It's always Kalas and, and his other guys, right? Well, hang on, because some people really did vo- worship it like a religion. So people who followed There's people that are more or less like hardcore about it, yeah. But but the idea of this, these Klingons that that are into a completely different mode of worship like they're, they're not worshiping Kalos, they're I mean, worshiping the even crystals those, yeah because even those monks that Worf went to visit they weren't into prayer as much as they were into meditation and reflection well they were super into Kalos. So that's a di- I know they were super into Kalos, but I'm telling you that even at that point it wasn't like a religious thing they did they have any sort of right that they have is stewed in tradition instead of religion like it's, well, there's a difference like a lot of yeah, like a lot right. of religions in Star Trek it actually has basis in fact like the Bajorans right. can say yeah we have our gods they're right over there in that wormhole yeah like you can go and talk to them mm-hmm. the Klingons know that Kalos was the guy that existed the Vulcans know that Surak was the guy that existed yeah it's based on historical fact Klingons as a society don't really seem like the type to put a lot of stock into the wishy-washier ideas of mm-hmm. dest. I guess they do believe in destiny don't they but the do you know what I mean I'm not yeah. doing a good job verbalizing it but but the idea that there's like this this these objects that Klingons mm-hmm. worship mm-hmm. as opposed to people and ideas mm-hmm. is seems very different than what we've normally seen in Klingon society and the idea that like a hundred years later by the time we get to TNG Borath is still there but all the crystals are I seem presumably gone. Either that or they were there and just nobody ever mentioned them again. And the place has just gone back to being basically a regular a monastery, monastery sure. where they where they keep watch for Kalos returning. Um, I don't know. Like the whole the whole time crystal thing, like a lot of stuff on Discovery seems like it just it kind of comes out of nowhere and it's yeah, interesting. It's but you're like, whoa, what is this all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. an AI that runs the Federation? Klingons worshiping on crystals? Yeah. Like where is this coming? You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I'm like, but it does seem, it does seem... It seems weird to me that there's this aspect of Klingon society that mm-hmm. the High Chancellor would say, oh man, I don't want anything to do with those guys. Like Garon and pretty much every other High Chancellor we've seen is like, no, I'm the High Chancellor. Even when they, even when Kales literally returned mm-hmm. and was standing there in front of Garon, yeah. he's like, yeah, maybe we'll give him an honorary title or something, but I still control all the actual real day-to-day stuff, right? And everyone's right. like, yes, Garon, you still control all the day-to-day stuff, right? Pat, 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 yeah. The idea that a Chancellor would be like, oh man, those monks, like I... I because and there's the idea here is that not just not just that they're going to let them do their well, own thing, but they're almost afraid of them because they know the power of the crystals, right? Now, hang on a sec. Don't forget that Gauron was a power hungry, greedy person who is not exactly exemplary of the Klingon Empire. And here we have the Klingon Empire in its swaddling clothes. So please do remember that not only is Lorel actually a good demonstration of what it means to be a a self-sacrificing, honor-bound representative of the empire who actually does have pure motivation. Well, she to only make got her... the chancellorship because she Hold said, on. "Here's a bomb that'll blow up the whole planet if you don't make me chancellor." That's, so that's no. a little dishonorable. Hang on a sec. Okay, yeah, that method was definitely a strong arm tactic, but the motivation behind it was to unite I everybody and stop fighting. They so, always have good motivations. <laughs> no, not always. Gauron definitely did not have all the good motivations for all of his yeah, various There's a lot of history is replete with on, dishonorable Klingons who think that if they only if you achieve have to their put end, in a co- If you have to put in a, a conversation... I don't want to get into a deep dive of why Laurel is better than Gauron, but she is. Okay, let's just... Oh, but let's Gauron just had say, the crazy eyes, though. Yeah, that's true. He did have some great crazy eyes. But no, I'm saying that... 
Okay, and then backtrack again to the Klingon Empire being in its swaddling clothes. So now you combine those two things. She actually respects the line in the sand between the, the holy place of Boroth, which nobody else uh, should be setting foot on. And she respects the fact that she's not going to overstep her bounds and meddle in their affairs because she's not supposed to. And all the Klingons who would dare try are supposed to be looked at as jerks. Yeah, maybe I'm just not. Yeah, I mean, we only got to see like five minutes of Martok as chancellor. Mm-hmm. I think we agree that he'd probably be a pretty awesome he was, he chancellor. Was, he was going to be a pretty awesome chancellor. Yeah. So maybe it's just that, yeah, I mean, really the only examples we had were fat Kimpek there who mm-hmm. we mostly just saw die. And, right, and Ga- but also and, not and then with we were clean stuck, hands. Then, then we were no. stuck with Gowron for, uh, for about 10 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was... Less than moral. Well, he was effective, but he was a as they said at the time when before when we were first introduced to him that he is he's an outsider in Klingon society he's a he's an up he's like an upstart politician you know Mm -hmm. he's like from the he's like the he's like space Obama you know like he came out of nowhere (laughs) it's like an upstart and ended up you know taking the taking the reins you know yeah um he didn't he wasn't part of the Klingon establishment you know like like Duras was being a family that goes back many generations Klingon Wall Street um yeah. So, so yeah, maybe it's just that we haven't seen an actual a Klingon that actually respects boundaries. Yeah, thank you. But I yes. guess I guess it's just that by the time we get to the Klingon society, we're more familiar with they didn't really have any boundaries to respect because it felt like the Klingons. I guess I'm just used to Klingons being more or less a monoculture as most alien races. In but Star that's Trek exactly are. what she's building, you know. That's what yeah. she's building. Lorel is undertaking that task to unify guess, and keep them unified. I guess it's just that, like most, most, that most races in Star Trek are pretty monocultural. Like there's one belief system, there's one ecology. You know, yeah. the Bajorans yeah, were true. really the first time where we're like, oh, there's actually different religious beliefs amongst this one species. That's it's that's novel. Yeah, it all is. All Vulcans believe, behave this way. All Klingons behave this way. And well, hang on. This. In Enterprise, they established that there were multiple va- warring factions of religious uh, mantras in Vulcan. Right, that was, society, but that was, that was a pre- prequel retcon. Right. I'm just talking about like, as originally introduced. But you adopted the prequel retcon for the Vulcan society, so now you are yeah, in a place to adopt too. the Vulcan. I mean, the the the, yeah. the prequel version. We'll of have a to Klingon see how society. they wrap it up. The the, the Vulcan thing of making them basically like liars and spies and almost warmongering in a way and and mm-hmm. xenophobic and intolerant towards people of of their own people with certain beliefs and practices. That was extremely controversial. And the fandom at the time. Yeah, and it, they had to like bend over backwards in the final season to show how the Vulcan society started to become more the Vulcan society yeah. that we with the awakening and thanks the Kirshara and everything. Hashtag thanks, um, thanks to Archer. So we'll see if something similar happens here. But I mean, it wouldn't take much. It would just take the, the time crystals being destroyed or something or rendered inoperable in some yeah. way, and then you're pretty much left with the clay and Borath that you know. But it's just I don't know, like the idea that there's this whole separate sect almost within Klingon society that holds this uniquely powerful weapon Mm -hmm. that the Klingon Empire has decided not to utilize and almost um, is almost afraid of in a way like it all just seems very anti-Klingon to me and not in a bad way like the AI thing did but just like in an interesting way that's just like I want to know more about how they ended up with this weird balance of power and this deference you Mm -hmm. know like I want to know like did they have 
um, like like um, Leland was saying, oh, you know, we had intel that the Klingons were, were conducting their own time travel tests, and that's why we had your mom build this red angel yeah. suit and do all this stuff. Like, I want to know, did they did they try using this stuff as a weapon and do something really bad? Like, something went really wrong, and that's why now they're kind of afraid of it? Like, I want to know what the backstory is. But I'm more intrigued than I am bothered by it. It's just... You know, it's, yeah. it's a new, interesting new information. Um, but we should talk about the Pike stuff because he gets his oh, big vision of man, the future. So good. So we see him. Did you notice it in the in the future scene? So it was the training exercise where he's bathed in radiation. Did you notice that, first of all, their uniforms were different. But second of all, did you notice that his hair was more gray? No, I did not. So it's supposed to be uh, nice. it's a full 10 years later. So yeah. he had a lot more gray in his hair. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the thing and then, he, you know, he's in the the wheelchair which they redesigned a little bit the same basic design he's got Mm -hmm. the radiation burns and the and everything else so maybe this because we we talked about before how anson mounted said that he wants to by the end of the season he wants to have if he's successful he wants and he and the writers wants to have recontextualized pike's ending as ending from from no tragedy he wants it to be like from a tragedy to a triumph basically Mm -hmm. he wants it to seem like a win basically in other words yeah and I th- and we talked about after the episode where they went to Talos Four and he saw what's her name again? I want to say Nina, but that's v- not right. Veal? Vina. Vina. There you go. Veal. That's it. Um, no, I thought Vila, but that's a character from Harry Potter. Never mind. Um, how it's like? Oh, is this what he was talking about? But not really. I think now we're sort of seeing more of it. Like if he knows that this is the des- his destiny, mm-hmm. and he chooses to, and the guy is like, okay, if you take this crystal then you're choosing that this will be now and forever your destiny. I'm like, why is this the one moment? Like, doesn't he have a million other choices between now and then? Like, why is this the one choice the last time he gets to choose? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. in a way, it almost diminishes it. If he has to choose every day when he gets up in the morning. What if he grabs a different crystal? That's all. That's well, I think they would all show him the same thing. They're all going to show him his death or his fate. Right. But 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 I think that that even when the guy said, like, if you take this crystal now, your fate is sealed. Mm hmm. I feel like I mean that's a very dramatic way of saying it, but I think it's 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 even more. It could have been if presented differently, have been even more powerful than that when you think about it, because it's not like this isn't just the one decision that he makes in the heat of the moment, out of the the need of the greater the greater good to save the Federation. Right. Like even after the day is saved mm-hmm. at the end of this season, he's still going to make every day a million little choices that are going to lead him towards that fate if he allows it to do so. Every day he gets out of bed, every day he doesn't resign his commission, Mm -hmm. every day that he gets a little older or chooses to teach or goes on board that ship, whatever it was. He's still going to make, every every day he's going to need to decide to stay on that path because he's decided that who he is as a person is not the kind of guy that, that, that turns away from his destiny. He's like... I, I could live my whole life in fear of that, trying to avoid it, but that's not who I choose to be. Like the Starfleet that I the, I believe in Starfleet and what I am as a Starfleet officer is someone who believes in right in, in doing the right thing and in hope and in faith and in love, right? Like mm-hmm. how love got... I, I like that he said love. It's like, what does love have to do with anything? Uh, but I like that he said that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but he is so overwhelmed in that moment that he doesn't even really know fully what he's saying he's just sort of saying a lot of things that are important to him and love just kind of ended up in there Mm -hmm. but that seemed like a did you notice that it it, it seemed like just a nice human moment and Mm -hmm. as an actor like when he comes out of the vision and Mm -hmm. he like recoils yes the the screen that he lets out like that is guttural well i mean that is that is an that's an actor who is not afraid to dig deep well, it's not just that he was digging deep. Like, it's not a... 
I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like, it's not a, it's not like a manly reaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is a man who is scared and like he's practically crying with and fear. Confused. Like he yeah. is, he is in a in a bad state, state right? Mm-hmm. Like he does, he is not taking that like a man's man. You right. know, right? Like he's not taking mm-hmm. that like Kirkwood or even Picard. You know, like mm-hmm. he is shaken and you mm-hmm. even see later in the scenes when he's back on board the ship he's talking to Laurel and Tyler and so on like he is haunted by that like yes. he almost seems like he's only half there yeah. you know yeah. um, but just that screen that he lets out and the way that he plays that whole scene like it's almost it's almost a, almost like a um, a primal childlike fear you know what I mean? Yes. Like he is not. That's not like raw. No, it's, it's like, very raw. It's like, it's like a ah, like a whale. You Ooh. know what I mean? Um, but that <laughs> no, it's that, raw that takes that takes guts to to play it that way. It's like oh, I'm yeah. gonna look like a bit of a wuss here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is a situation where anybody is gonna look like a wuss yeah. based on what they saw. You know, not everybody is unafraid of the ugly cry. Yeah, but he like, but he he says you know one. like this is mm-hmm. this is who I am and I'm not gonna live my life in fear of it. Yep. You know, so give me the crystal, but yeah, like I think that's I think that's powerful. I think that it does kind of it doesn't. So so when he says that he wants to recontextualize it as a victory, I think kind of what he means, if this is what he was getting at, is it's not so much that it's a victory to be trapped in a wheelchair and and all that other stuff, but it's it's a victory. Um, it's like a moral victory. It's like he it's a victory for him as a person. Yes. In a way, like he has, he had, he had a choice, and that was either to run from his destiny or accept it. And by embracing his horrible fate, because he knew he could do a lot of good along the way, that mm-hmm. is in and of itself a victory. You know, mm-hmm. like even if the end is ugly and sad and without and brutal and merciless and unjust, even, yeah, then unearned. But, but there's a certain dignity and beauty in accepting that, especially if you can make the world better along the way you know right. and like that's what that's and not what only that but like make sure that the world exists like what choices yeah there but he could place, but this is what know? i'm saying why it's it's more powerful because every day he continues to make exactly. the choice because he could save the universe at the end of the season and then resign and go right. go back to yeah. earth and, yeah. and live out his days in quiet solitude right yeah um and and that would and he still would have saved the day, right? Like, but it's not just about saving yeah. the day now. It's about continuing to do your duty and continuing to be the kind of man and you walking, can look in the mirror, walking and, into and respect the yourself. Shark Tank, yeah, yeah. Like he must have known when he was like ten years from now. Who who knows how clear the specifics of that vision would be? Did he know when he was walking into that? Onto the onto that ship on that day ten years from now, did he know this is going to be the day? Yep. Maybe or maybe not. Maybe after ten years. You, not that you forget it, but it almost seems like was it just was that ever real? Was that just a dream? Like maybe you begin to doubt that it was actually a real thing that you saw. Yeah. Maybe it was some trick of the crystal or something. Like maybe you begin to doubt it after a while. Here in the moment, he believes it. I I think. Yeah. But who knows? After ten years of it not happening, you might be like, did I just imagine that? Was it a real thing that happened? Was it a trick yeah. or just some? electromagnetic phenomena in my brain or some form of telepathy, telepathic manipulation mm-hmm. or time travel or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, so maybe he didn't know on that day he was when he was walking onto that ship to conduct that training simulation that it was going to be the day that this happened. But mm-hmm. if he did, then, you know, it's like I said, you continue to, you have to be brave not just now in that moment. You have to be brave every day for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and he didn't know, like he could have been 30 years from now. You know, like I don't think he got a good enough look at how how old he was exactly or anything, or he didn't look at a a panel and see a star date. Mm-hmm. So that could have been decades from now, for all he knows. And he's got to wake up every morning and face that inevitability. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that takes guts, obviously. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I I continue to really enjoy 
his performance. Me too. Um, and the way his character is written and the storylines that they're exploring. I really yeah, love this show. Given this him, show is great. They've given him a lot of good, good spotlight. Material, yeah, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's doing a lot with it. Just, I just, I just love those quiet moments. His character is so wholesome and three dimensional and warm and strong, and that's what Anson Mount brings to that character. Because those little moments where he sees Burnham doing something and and the elevator doors are closing, and he gives her like this little tiny private smile from across the room as the elevator door is closing. That's all him, you know. I'm sure that that was like written in there somewhere, but the fact that that it's just so effortless and so part of his character and just he's got charisma is what i'm trying to say he's got this warm just awesome approachable charisma and it's just it's fun to see so anson mount perform so i think it's i think it's pretty much um been stated that it's a one season thing. Like yeah. he's not going to continue to be a regular. Yeah, it's kind of like he, you had Jason Isaacs last season and you've got Anson Mount this season. And yeah. the next season, maybe Saru becomes the captain. Maybe, maybe Burnham does. Or maybe I, I don't think they're going to do another new guest captain. I don't think it's going to be like a different captain every season. Cause after three times, <laughs> yeah, three times it kind of starts to feel a little comical. But I do think that they would be very smart, assuming the actor is up for it. And he seems like he's having the time of his life. And yeah. I just mean on screen, but I mean, when you see, cause the official Star Trek Twitter account, yeah. Twitter Account retweets him all the time, and he seems like he's he's <laughs> really he's loving it. Um, so I hope that they find a way to keep yeah, him. Most actors go their entire careers without finding a project this month. This well, awesome. I hope they I hope that they go out of their way to keep him in the universe. Like I, I saw someone say that what they should because clearly they're having a lot of fun this season teasing like oh here's the Enterprise but you don't get to see too much of it. Here's number one but you don't get to see too much of her. Wink, wink. We're seeing a lot of yeah. Spock but he's like he's not in the uniform and he's got the beard and everything. It's like wouldn't it be interesting if they actually spun uh, of all the things that they're seemingly spinning out of this show including the Georgiou oh, spinoff yeah. and everything. What if they actually did a legit Enterprise <gasps> spinoff from this show where you had Pike Spock number one but and in wow. the years before Kirk actually flying around in the Enterprise like that's that's the that's the thing that it seems like nobody has dared to do is actually do a series set on the Enterprise before Kirk with <laughs> you know what I mean they like boldly go where no series has come but before. I feel like the the, the knock ag- the knock against that is that then because Alex Kurtzman has been very and I think he's right has been very clear that he wants uh, even as they add more shows to the service, the roster, yeah. they want them to each have their own identity. I think it's very easy to imagine how the Georgiou Section 31 spinoff sure. will be very different than Discovery. I mean, obviously, this season we've gotten a lot of Section 31 stuff, and so it's right, going to seem it's like it's not coming out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but just by and large would be very different. Picard series, obviously going to be very different. Comedy series, obviously going to be very different. Cartoons, obviously going to be very different. But if you have another show set on a starship, contemporaneous with discovery it's just this is the enterprise instead of the discovery maybe even if they have different missions maybe a little too similar true but so maybe not an ongoing multi-season series but but do something do do like a mini series they don't all need to be ongoing series do a mini series like disney plus is doing you can only get jeremy renner for six episodes get anson mount and and rebecca romaine and uh, ethan peck to do like a maybe don't even set it on the Enterprise. Have them go off on some away mission or something like that. The three of them and a couple of other new characters. Yeah. Right. Like a, have like a, a young McCoy on there. So do do whatever you want. Like, but just do like do another project with them where he actually gets to be like he, he, he Discovery doesn't really have a star. Like Sonequa Martin Green is ostensibly the star, and she definitely gets the lion's share of the storylines. Yes. But 
it is very much an ensemble show in the way that most if most Star Trek shows are, and right? especially this season, they're really making a concerted effort to utilize the yeah. talent they you have got a on lot the bridge. Pike, you got a lot of uh, Stamets. You got a lot of even more Culber this season. Tilly's but again, gotten, like the bridge, ca- the bridge crew is finally the bridge crew is getting more development. Attention. Yeah, it's definitely more mm-hmm. of an ensemble. Last year it was like the the well, Burn, the Burnham show with also also with a bunch of other characters. This season, it seems like it's much more equitable. Like, I'd say that if you were to divvy up the numbers, like in terms of screen time, Sonequa Martin-Green would still be at the top, but it would be a lot closer race than it was yeah, yeah, last yeah. season. Uh-huh. Um, True. So, yeah, so where was I going with that? But, I, I yeah, I just feel like he's he's gotten a lot of good storylines, but, and so, in, in a lot of ways, and in this episode, for example, I think he got the lion's share of the screen time over Sonequa Martin-Green. So there's certain episodes where it seems True. like he's the star of. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it would be really interesting to see what he would do with a series that was... And it could even follow up on some of these things that we were talking about here. Yeah, I know. Right? That'd like, be nice. What if he has to go... I mean, would they do a thing where, like, what, you don't want every story about Pike to be about Talos 4 or the fact that he gets stuck in a chair at some point. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you could tell different stories with him, but they could revisit some of these ideas. They could revisit... Like, there's so much there. Like, just the, the way that they built this character at the beginning of the season that they haven't come back to a lot. It's just sort of there as a layer that you can read into things. Like, the, the fact that he had kind of almost like a religious upbringing in some ways, which well, was yeah, one thing that set him that. apart mm-hmm. from the other characters. Like, they could delve into some of that stuff, too. I feel... And we've only seen number one for a few minutes I have a feeling we're going to see more of her in the two part finale mm-hmm. because now they're going to rendezvous with the Enterprise to That's right. offload all the crew so they can blow up the ship um, or abandon it for a thousand years yeah I, one thing that's so, so so yeah I was, so just as a way of fishing that up I was saying like I feel like we're going to get more of Rebecca Romaine at the end of this at the end of the season obviously we're gotten a lot of Ethan Peck I would love to see those three characters we haven't seen even a lot of Spock and Pike when they saw oh, each other yeah, for the first true. time, there was, they had a nice moment. But we haven't really seen a lot of them bouncing off of each other. It's mostly been Spock and Burnham yeah. and Pike and Burnham, yep. you know? Yep. But I'd love to see the three of them and a bunch of other characters off on their own adventure, even if it's only like a mini, a six-episode miniseries or something. I just want to see them... I want to see Anson Mount play the role more. I don't want this the end of this season with potentially like maybe a guest appearance next season or something i, I don't i want them to keep him around and doing stuff in this universe but the other the, just to circle back to the the plot logistics of this episode just for one thing before we wrap up i was going to say that yeah obviously at the, the end of this episode they make the decision to blow up the ship um yep. and i was seeing people say that it seems a little extreme um the idea that the reason why they have to do this is that all the section section 31 ships are converging on them and they're like, oh, we could run. But they're like, well, they'll just find us again. Yeah. Yeah, but if you use the spore drive, you could jump literally anywhere in the universe and they would have no way of reaching you. So you could sit there for as long as you need to yep. and come up with a plan. And they can't do anything because they need the data, the files that are on your ship that yep. you got from the Red Murder Sphere. So it's not like they're going to be able to advance their agenda unless they find you. And you can very easily make it so that they can never find you because you could jump to the Gamma Quadrant mm-hmm. and sit there for a month and come up with a really cool plan and then come back. Mm-hmm. Now, I get why they don't do that. First of all, that's not very interesting isn't for the audience to just watch them go somewhere else and just sit there and think about it for mm-hmm. a month. Yeah. Secondly, it doesn't really seem very heroic. Thirdly, it, it seems like... A they short-term don't, don't, solution. Well, they don't really know for sure that that's smart because what if the what if control is somehow able to achieve if not their complete goal then par- partially you know like if they right. jump off and they come back six months later what if control has destroyed half the central life in the galaxy because yeah, I mean, it got half the files right like 
yeah they took it's over not one linear person. in that way but yeah they took over a ship i mean look at what happened with the with the yeah, they could do a lot ship. of damage exactly they need, to, they need to end this now definitively exactly. instead of thinking about it for a month but exactly. it did seem like it, at least i would have liked it if somebody had raised that point you know because mm, wouldn't, wouldn't stamets be like they can't because the problem what they said the reason why they presented on the show wasn't that no we need to end this now before more lives are lost it was we can't run because they'll find us that right. was what they said well yeah. no that's not true yeah. <laughs> that's demonstrably not true you could jump to a different galaxy and they'd never find you right because right. the whole thing with spore drives you can go literally anywhere mm-hmm. it's instantaneous travels and seemingly without and nobody's documented the mycelial network seemingly so, without limits like maybe yeah. there's some range on it because it's only been charted like the, maybe it's like Battlestar Galactica where oh. yeah you could you could theoretically jump anywhere but you need you can only jump a certain distance before like the math starts to break down basically and you're not sure you're not going to jump into the middle of a star or out to an uncharted space or something in the middle of a asteroid field right, right the ship would right, be destroyed instantly right. so you I, maybe there's a certain range at which point you can no longer chart the course or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know but if that's the case they haven't really told us that so all we have to go on is the fact that seemingly they can go anywhere instantaneously mushroom network so yeah I wish someone had raised that yeah. as, as a problem. It was like, do we have to blow up the ship? Couldn't we just like hide for a week first? But I don't know. Yeah. I understand why they didn't do that from a dramatic perspective. <laughs> that That's funny. I like it because it's funny. There's also the funny thing, which I mentioned to you before, which is that Section 31. Um, oh, yes. Someone says, the, the, <laughs> the 30 th- ships. 30 <laughs> ships. That's almost that's their entire <laughs> fleet. And I'm like, does Section 31 have, have 31, 31 ships? ships? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. And none of them have names, right? Because they're always, which is is also, that's getting on my nerves. It's really clunky because they keep saying the Section 31 ship, the Section 31 ship. Like, it's it's supposed to be because they're a shadowy organization and their ships don't have names. But everybody knows about them. They're not a secret organization. Everybody knows about them. Exactly. It's like when you you join the CIA, like the CIA still names their buildings. (laughs) You know what I mean? And how do they internally keep them straight? The Section 31 ship dash I guess they probably have numbers or something like, you know, ship number 23 is here or whatever, but... I don't know. Like it, it seems like I'm a, so. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mouthful for the actors to always have to say, "Oh, the Section Thirty One ship." Yeah. Instead, you could just would they just call it like like in like in Star Trek Into Darkness? What did what did Peter Weller call his his evil Section Thirty One ship? There, it was like the. It was like the Revengeance or something. It was some dumb, evil sounding name because <laughs> they were like the evil Starfleet people. Yeah, that's awesome. But it was like it was like the the. The Nostradamus. Well, it, <laughs> well, no, but it was a war. They gave it some warlike name, which sure. was supposed to seem very anti-Starfleet, you know. So they give it. They, they're all wearing like the evil-looking uniforms, and there was like a black ship with no lighting in there, and like J.J. Yeah. Abrams lighting on the Enterprise, and they had like an evil-sounding name. It was like the Vengeance. So it's like the USS Vengeance or something. And it was like there's no way Starfleet would name a ship that, but they're oh, right. Section Thirty One, right? Yeah. But you could give. You could give them some sort of name, like name it after like some historical spy master or some, you know what I mean? Like they could do something, right? Yeah. Name it the, what was the name of the guy that, uh, that Hoover, name it, name it the, the, U- the, the, the USS, USS J. Edgar Hoover or something, or right? Or the USS Leland. Yeah, well, I'm not going to name it after the guy. The captain doesn't get no, to name the ship Langley. after himself. Oh, I got them mixed up. Oh, no, I'm, yeah. I was going for a yeah, Langley They could do joke. something clever like that. Yeah. I didn't have to call it. Anyway, just something that, that occurred Bothered to me. Bothered you. It's kind of weird. But yeah. Yes. So next week, um, a bunch of our CW shows are back, and we'll have the part one of the two-part Star Trek Discovery season finale, and we'll have two episodes of Doom Patrol. So here's this impromptu pop quiz. Of all the CW shows that are coming back next week, what are you most looking forward to? Um, Well, well, Legends is back already, so it's really just... um, I think Supergirl is taking one more week off, so I think just Arrow and Flash are back next week. Um, Probably Arrow... 
probably arrow because oh. I'm more. I think I'm more interested in the uh, the Amico Ninth Circle thing than I am the Cicada thing right now. When does Black Lightning come back? Well, Black Lightning is the season is over, so eight months so or something eight like months. that. Oh, it's going to be a long time to wait. For me, I'm actually looking forward to. Yeah, Legends actually. I'm looking Well, Legends is back it. already. I know it is back already, but I am looking forward yeah, well, to Yeah, well, well, yes. Week. I probably would have chosen that too just because it's a lot of fun, but yeah. it sounded like you're asking me to choose between the shows between which were not back arrow. yet. Yeah, yeah. So. That's true. That is how I phrased it. And if I were to answer that question, I would say Flash actually because it's a little more lighthearted and I'm excited to see what happens. Um, okay. So that was that was this week's show. If you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our email address is mailbag at smartspodcast.com. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Oh. 